This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Well, here goes. Can Stoke City do it on a cold Saturday afternoon in Plymouth? Mustafa Bundu and Adam Randall disagree. The Potters started the brightest as Tyrese Campbell lit the fire in the kiln, slipping between the defence and firing beyond Cooper. Kessler Hayden's sensational cross put the ball on a plate for Bundu, throwing us level at the break. But on a freezing cold afternoon, it was Adam that was too hot to Randall. In the 97th minute, up popped one of our own to slam home his first goal at the Theatre of Greens on his 100th appearance to spark limbs not seen at home park since Peter Hartley popped up at the back post, leaving the silenced away end to potter off home, leaving us with another three points in the pot. Joining me to glaze over this one is the Gordon Ramsay of Cottage Pies, Dan Ellard. How's things? I mean, no one that's listening is going to have any idea what that's referring to. So, but yeah, good, mate. Good. Just had a lovely cottage pie for tea, actually, as it goes. Yeah, it must have been nice. It was cooked a good 15 minutes longer than expected. <laughs> the Delia Smith of Spaghetti Bolognese, Joe Bell. Me having you. Where are you? I'm good, Aaron. Um, it's a shame that we're not yet on YouTube because everyone would have seen how excited you were as you were reeling off pottery pun after pun, only then to gnaws it up halfway through, um, which brought great enjoyment. They haven't heard that bit. That bit's been edited out. And the Greg Wallace of the pod sound down. Yeah, I think that intro's all gone to pot myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, uh, there was there, there aren't many like pottery terms that um I understood, and I've done pottery. Never mind. Have you? Yeah. I went to an arts university. What do you think? Yeah, but arts is in graphic design. I couldn't really imagine you doing pottery for some reason. Anyway, sorry, that's off on a tangent. Do carry on. Is it Lionel Richie in one of his uh, music videos? Just imagine that, basically. (laughs) Dan, I never let you go first. Why don't you go first and run us through the 2-1 win over Stoke City? Thank you very much. Well, this is this is where I I um, answer the next seven of your questions. Yeah, <laughs> I was expecting a response, but you're you're eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, carry on. It was a brilliant finish to a game where we didn't quite 
hit the heights that we have done in some of our other home games. Uh, it's brilliant to say, kind of have such high standards of ourselves when, you know, we, you know, after, after some of the, obviously the brilliance of last season and then, you know, blowing away some established championship teams so far this season, um, I'm certainly, certainly wouldn't have turned my nose up at a one-all draw at home to Stoke, albeit I thought they were really, really poor in the second half. Um, just a, 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 you know, pretty physical team, but not massively organised. Um, they bullied us a bit at set pieces early on. Um, Cooper flapped at one and, and um, ran out of his, uh, ran to one side to try and claim a deep corner and, and didn't get there. And, and we were, we were, yeah, looking like we were a bit physically intimidated early on. As the first half went on, uh, it didn't really seem like we were clicking. Some of that um, really crisp passing and interchange we've seen um, when we've been at our best this season wasn't quite there. A key component of that, Jordan Houghton, was having a really bad game. You know, that awareness that he normally has to like drop into five yards of space, receive the ball with a back to goal, have the awareness of where his marker is and just lay it off. He just, you know, was either misplacing passes or getting caught in possession, which was meaning we couldn't progress up the pitch, couldn't get, um, you know, our, our good dribblers, uh, Whitaker, um, Kundal Azaz on the ball. And, and as a result, Stoke kind of hemmed us in quite well. They Their lead was was probably deserved. It was a real, real kind of error from uh, Lewis Gibson. Although I will say after that moment, I thought he was absolutely superb in the second half and did not put a foot wrong. So good to kind of make up for that for that big error where he just completely switched off, thought the ball was going through to Cooper and, and yeah, uh, their player nipped in. But it was a, a fantastic comeback win and kind of um, put to bed some of the worries that I think some of our fans have had about, you know, are we able to win from behind in the championship? Do we have the squad depth for players to come off the bench and change games? Well, certainly Callum Wright and Randall did that uh, yesterday. And after what was a, a pretty drab performance and disappointing result at Coventry, really, really good to bounce back and put us up into the uh, lofty heights of 16th place. And I did note yesterday, and I'm only saying this out of pure kind of observation, not in a way, anything other than the fact that we should still just be looking at finishing fourth bottom. Um, but with six clear of the drop zone, we're only eight points off the playoffs now, uh, which I, th- I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting tweet you've read there that I definitely didn't steal from uh, you in the group chat. Sam, anything to add there? Um, yeah, um, just to say how great it is to do what I've finally been whinging we've not done after what it feels like every pod and come out on the right end of a tight one. Uh, we've finally done it. You could kind of argue we did it last week because although although we won two nil in the terms of the balance of play and the gap between the two teams, it was a very even game and we didn't really feel fully comfortable. But we absolutely categorically did it um, yesterday after the Stoke game. Uh, I will be honest; I thought the first half was one of the worst halves of football we put in all season. Um, we were very poor throughout the first half. Both the centre backs had a poor half, but Houghton probably had an even worse half. A player who's been brilliant this season had a dropped a bit of a stinker yesterday um, and he didn't protect the defence well enough, but the defence also didn't help themselves either by making mistakes like the Gibson one that Dan described. Um, second half, we were so much better. We got a we got a bit of luck go our way with the, with the um, not well, it wasn't really luck, it was a well-worked goal, but it, let's just say half-time fell at the right time for us. We just equalised, it was a chance to take stock and, and go out and start again. And we and we then 
second half were completely dominant. I think both it was it was very much the archetypal game of two halves. Stoke were dominant in the first half. We were very dominant in the second half. And I think the second half is probably one of, if not the best, forty five minutes of football that we've put in all season. Uh, well, no, 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 um, it wouldn't be the best because that would obviously be the first half against Norwich, but possibly second behind behind that one. Um, it was a fantastic half of football. We had chance after chance, didn't we? Um, Bundu missed, missed the one-on-one quite early in the half. Uh, Azaz had one, fell to him in, in a lot of room. He skied over the bar, but he should have at least hit the target. Um, it was a beautiful ball by Azaz, threaded through for Kundal, who was very close range with the keeper. Again, could have scored. Keeper made a great save. And there was the Hardy sort of angled one as he was coming in that I think Ryan Hardy on peak confidence of a month or two ago absolutely buries it, but he unfortunately just blazes it over. And then there was the mad, mad scramble that led to... The save, well, the clearance off the line, sorry, from Cundall, which then rebounded back to Randall, who blasted it into the net. And what was, I think, just about the better team won. Um, it's hard to judge who was the better team, really, because it was both both teams were, had one dominant half and one poor half. But on balance, I think our second half was slightly more dominant than, than, than their first half was dominant. So delighted. Great character, great resilience. And all of a sudden, um, we're, we're looking like we might be creeping in towards the mid-table area rather than rather than just exclusively in the relegation dogfight. To extend on Dan's stat about being nearly as close to sixth as we are to 21st, the gap between 7th and 20th, which is 13 positions, is only seven points. So only seven points separating 13 positions. That's an insanely tight league. And we are pretty much bundled almost into the middle of that, aren't we? And you know, Leicester away, that's going to be a tough one, but then we've got a decent run of fixtures on paper coming up after that. We could be going into Christmas, potentially even possibly in or near the top half if we if we keep this right, if we keep the run going at home. Um, yeah, delighted. Going a bit off track and probably stealing some questions for later on, but delighted with how we played uh, in the second half and I think just about on balance with a better team and above all, absolutely thrilled that we've finally had the the character, the resilience and a bit of luck that went our way as well uh, to get out on the right end of a tight game. Yeah, Joe, your face there felt like you disagreed with some of the things Sam said, but I don't know. I don't know if you do disagree or that's just your face. Thanks. Charming. Uh, (laughs) I was distracted by something on the television halfway through Sam's uh, monologue anyway, but I do disagree. I disagree on the point that he said that it was a tale of two halves and Stoke dominated the first half and we dominated the second half. I don't think there was any period of the game really bar in and around their goal where Stoke dominated. I should obviously caveat this by declaring that I wasn't at the game. I had to settle for Argo TV's full-length coverage um, post-game. So, you know, when, when this happens, you have the benefit of the doubt of knowing what's coming at various times of the afternoon. But... I thought the first 10 minutes we were really bright. And then, you know, there were just one or two little lapses in concentration that just allowed Stoke a bit of momentum. And I am going to have to come to Lewis Gibson's defence, shock horror, as I'm um, obviously the number one chairman of his fan club. In that, whilst I agree that he's distracted by the player who's offside for, for Stoke's goal, he seems almost 
too worried about him than than Tyrese Campbell. It, it's actually just a really poor clearance by Michael Cooper. And if that's a better clearance, then we're probably not in that position. So whilst I agree that Gibson is at fault for not picking up the runner, the, there are other hand, things at play with their goal. And then there were there were just little moments where they were on top, I accept, for a, for a brief period. But in a game where there was no overall control... I certainly wouldn't say it was a tale of two halves because I always thought that we were perhaps in the ascendancy more than they were. Um, there was obviously that moment in the second half as well where Cooper had to make a save. Um, I think Gibson had to block one, didn't he, in the second half as well when they somehow managed to screw up a, an unbelievable position after we gave the ball away, which unfortunately was yet another trend of the performance. Well, I think at one stage it looked like they had a three-on-one. Yun Ho was was bearing down. Gibson was was backtracking, trying to get his his body position right. And he had one to the left, one to the right, and he was running at Gibson. He, you know, eventually Gibson did the right thing and, and got in the way of it. But I I thought it was a really scrappy game between two sides who couldn't really wrestle overall majority control of the game. It. <laughs> It was crying out for a five-minute passage of play where just two centre-halves just knocked it round to one another and everyone just took a deep breath. Um, I think that's the one way I've described that game because everything was just played at 200 miles an hour. But look, as the two lads have said, we've been on the wrong end of these games too many times already this season. We obviously all remember the euphoria of Shrewsbury away last season towards the business end of the year when we got that late winner there. And just what that did to to spur the group on. Um, and I'm going to steal somebody else's tweet now. I can't remember who it was. Um, put it out after the game on Saturday. That there, there should be no looking back now from this result for the group. You know, this it's not exactly a statement win as if you were to beat a Leeds or a Southampton or an Ipswich or a Leicester. I get that. But it is only Stoke City. And I want to come on to a, some, a talking point about that later on if we can. You know, this is a big, big result, you know, to go behind in a game in the championship, to stick in the game, to create brilliant opportunities. And, you know, really second half, bar the odd counter-attack from them, um, there was only one team I ever felt was would have nicked it. Obviously, I, I can't say we're going to nick it because I, I already knew the result. But, um, you know, to keep in it, to show the character, the resilience, the fight, you know, that's that's got to be a big tool in their armoury now moving forward. And every week, every game now, whenever we're under a period of pressure at half time or if there's a break in play with an injury, Shuey just has to get the troops together and just say, look, just remember Stoke, just keep in the game because chances will come. And in the end, we had the the two out major bits of quality in the game to to win the game. So. Big boost, massive three points after what QPR did on Friday night. I think that sort of put everyone on edge going into the game. But look, there's so many things to take out of it, although it wasn't a classic. Um, for the season moving forward, that could be a big, a big moment. So, Dan, that's pretty much everything covered apart from a question about Galloway, which I'm sure we'll get onto. Some full-time thoughts, as always, we ask for your full-time thoughts on social media. Andrew McMillan says, great win, crucial three points. We made lots of errors, but always look threatening. Luke Cundall, man of the match, in my view. Uh, Sam Rosevear said, needed that. Performance was not where we wanted it to be, but gosh, we needed a win like that. Thought Galloway was decent after being out for so long. All the subs made a good impact. 
Uh, Liam Lopez says, I'm sure this is an unpopular opinion, but Mumba as a left forward just isn't it. One of our most talented players are not sure where else he'd fit in in this current system, but he's so much better as a wing-back slash wide midfielder. Um, Casey Pilgrim said, I felt a goal was coming, but my God, I nearly had a heart attack. The noise was ridiculous. What a beaut. Uh, we'll finish up with pod regular Jack Leslie, who said at, at times it was absolutely frantic. Draw would have probably been fair, but that said, Bundu and Kundal had glorious chances before the winner. Special mention to Galloway. Um, we've been so unlucky with injuries. Uh, so a first appearance in what feels like five years, he did pretty well. Uh, Rans plus three equals perfect. Um, Schumacher made uh, three changes in his latest edition of Shui Roulette. Scar, Galloway and Bundu in for Plegwazelo, Edwards and Wayne. Gossi says, not a question, but Galloway needs a mention. Thought he had a great game considering how long he's been out. Dan, why don't you give Galloway some credit for once? You never give Galloway any credit. Give him some credit, Dan. What have I said about Galloway that's horrible in the past? Nothing. Just funny. Thanks. I, uh, yeah, the uh, the lad did well. I think it was a bit of a horses for courses selection in terms of Stoke. They weren't fully kind of, you know, the, the Premier League era team of, of Rory Delap and long throws and smashing it up to um, Ricardo Fuller type kind of team. Uh, but they did hit a lot of long balls um, diagonals and, and try to uh, that that was their that was their tactic rather than kind of building out from the back slowly. So I think Schumacher must have looked at that and gone right. I'd rather have Galloway as a left back than Joe Edwards um, with Kesler Hayden obviously slop, uh, swapping over if that had been the case. Um, and and probably the the decision to pick Scar over Plegathuelo, um mirrors that as well. Like I said early on, they did bully us a bit aerially. We were struggling to win many headers really at all um, at either end of the pitch. You know, Bundu's strength isn't really in the air. So it was it was a, a sensible decision, I think, to try and uh, counter Stoke's strengths, which after, you know, kind of slightly shaky opening, I think we did pretty well. Galloway was, was, was solid enough. I think, um, you know, perhaps the kind of, real dynamism of our left side that we've seen at times where um you know where it's uh, where it's Miller or Kesler Hayden at left back where you know they'll be him and Mumba if Mumba plays ahead of them they'll they'll interchange it quite a lot where Mumba will drop back and cover a really kind of aggressive overlapping run um and then vice versa you know one will sit behind or invert yeah Galloway w- was was steady um overlapped at times but i think his his role was kind of designed to be quite, don't go charging forward too often because we need to be wary of those quick diagonal balls and, and keep the back four quite compact, which we did. Yeah, on the ball, he was solid. Defensively, he was he was pretty good. He did uh, tom the referee for two free kicks, I thought, one in either half, but, you know, we'll take them. Yeah, so it's, it's good to have him back and it's good to have that option back as well because with um, Miller's latest injury... Um, without Galloway, and obviously Gillespie's just coming back to fitness as well, it is literally just... Edwards and Kesler Hayden, unless we wanted to drop Mumba back there permanently. So it's really good to have that option in there again. And I, and as uh, I think the contributor said, contributor said, he did very, very well considering that he's been out for so, so long. I mean, I'm sure Sam will be able to say, when was his last game for us before, before yesterday? Pretty sure it was. 
it was either the game against Exeter or the game against Shrewsbury in the April back-to-backs away uh, last season that we won both of them because he, he had the broken hand that kept the bad of Easter weekend. He then, then strapped it up and he, and he was able to play and he then got injured again with his latest injury that kept them out over, over a very long time. It was the Shrewsbury game, um, the, the the famous Callum Wright game, but he went off injured at half-time during that game. Um, yeah, last time he played a full 90 would be the famous win against Exeter with the Matt Butcher winner. Do we need to start Galloway every time we want a last-minute winner then? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> if we want some, if we want some jeopardy at the death, start Brendan. Uh, well, it'd be, it'd be nice to get them done a bit earlier to save on the old heart rate. But yeah, it's it's better than not winning at all, for sure. And if just one more thing. I know this that was quite a kind of slightly facetious comment, but isn't it wonderful that we are able to be a little bit picky and a little bit like, oh, well, we weren't quite at our best. And, you know, we, we didn't quite hit our, hit our heights. And, you know, we're leaving it till the last minute to beat Stoke, you know. I know they're not a big hitter at this league, but at the end of the day, it is yet another team that we've played that has a hell of a bigger budget than we do. And we've outplayed them and deservedly, I think, just about deservedly beaten them. Just again, the kind of perspective of just how well Schumacher is doing, just how well the players are doing and what a good job we've done at um, growing accustomed to this level. Yeah, Sam, were you initially worried, like I was, that the effects of three games in a week were starting to show. It just felt quite leggy with obviously gaps opening up everywhere, which also led to Tyrese Campbell opening the the scoring 23 minutes in two. I don't know if I necessarily thought it was for that reason, because, you know, often we will have, we'll have good or bad performances at unexpected times. I didn't necessarily think it was leggy. I, I certainly didn't think we were were playing well. I thought defensively we, we were wide open. I, I do agree with what Joe said, that we, we actually, in the very, very start of the game, the first five Coming on the 10 minutes, we, we were actually pretty good. But then that spell from minute 10 to about 25, Stoke had a, Stoke had a string of chances and you, you sort of felt the goal was coming and, and, it, and it did then come. And yeah, I just I just don't know if I necessarily thought it was down to being too leggy because we, we had rotated quite a bit. Uh, well, only three players, so not that much, but we'd rotated enough and... Ultimately, even though it was three games in a week, it was just coming off an international break. So I wasn't necessarily worried about that because ultimately Stoke played three games in a week as well. But we weren't playing well at that time. And I'm just obviously glad we turned it around. Yeah, true. I suppose didn't factor in the fact that Stoke have done it as well. But maybe that's just why it was a terrible performance. But not judging by their fans on social media, it felt like that's how they played. They weren't very happy at full time, were they, Stoke fans? They were really giving it up to the dogs abuse to their players. They walked off. It reminded me of Argyle fans that day at Accrington that time. The players walked off. Derek Adams, <laughs> sad farewell. But yeah, it was, it was not not pleasant scenes from a Stoke point of view in the away end at all at full time. Joe, I'll give, I'll give you this one because it includes your friend uh, Gavin Jones. And you've already touched on it a bit about how just how poor it was to concede like that. But Gavin said um, he feels that we miss Pleggy. His speed of feet and thought gets us out of trouble. Scar's good, but he's playing at League One speeds, unfortunately. Do you agree with Gavin? To some extent, yeah. I mean, I thought Scar was a bit sloppy early doors. I know he 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 put one out, didn't he? That was a, a fairly routine pass back to Cooper. And there was a another um another opportunity where he just gave the ball away, which was which was really sloppy. Um I was actually just thinking this morning when I was watching the game back and I was actually seeing just how well Galloway did. You know, and I was I was surprised that that Galloway was going to start um when the team news came through. 
Um, I thought, you know, if Miller is going to be back, that his pace would would really help. Um, just assuming that Stoke were going to come with a bit of a low block and, and you know, fairly negative football, play on the counter and things. But I thought Galloway did a really good job. And I was actually thinking whether or not, if you remember back to the Wickham game, when Shui essentially played four centre-backs as a back four, are we going to get a game this season where the back four is Plegrizalo, Scar, Gibson and Galloway? Um, because Galloway isn't exactly sluggish at left back. He did get forward quite a few times in the in the first half. I understand what Dan's saying that he's not a Kesler Hayden or anything or a Miller getting forward. I accept all of that. Um, but Pleggy isn't slow either. Um, and we certainly wouldn't lose any anything like that. And he is good with the ball at his feet. So I just wonder, you know, for Stoke away or something or any of those those tricky games where teams are going to sling it into the box, whether or not that as a back four could be a an option. In terms of whether or not Plaggy would have made a difference to the goal, probably not. I just think it was, as I say, it was a poor clearance. Gibson doesn't pick up the right runner. He's, he's too worried about the player who's offside. So I think one thing we can't... I know we, on two, on Wednesday night, sorry, on the live space, we were questioning some of Shuey's substitutions and things and whether or not he overthought the game or things. But when he has a plan like this... And he knows how a team are going to play. He knows what their strengths are and things. And he picks our team for that reason. Um, he very seldom gets it wrong. Um, when he has a plan, he normally hits the target, i.e. that Wickham game. There are countless others as well. So I think he got this one spot on. We'll come on to Leicester a lot later on in the evening or on another night, of course, when we preview the podcast on different days. Sorry, different days yet. We'll talk about Leicester's strengths and that will probably take up most of the pod. But... You know, I'm sure there'll be a totally different setup and a look to the to the back line next week. But um, rounding it off, coming away from Plegrizalo to t- throw my tuppence into Galloway, it was a delight to see him get through 76 minutes because we all know how good a player he is. Um, and I loved Shuey's um, uh, comment to Chris Arrington in the post-match press conference, which is available on Argyle TV. Chris Arrington's question was along the lines of what can the medical team do now to keep Brendan Galloway on the pitch and Shuey with just a wry smile on his face just said, say their prayers. And I think that was a, a really good comment. And hopefully they've all been up there and they're still up there now saying seven rosaries and a few Hail Marys and Our Fathers. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mustafa Bundu continues to commit men with his incredibly fast and direct style of play. To me, he feels a bit like an old school winger, but he's just been played through the middle. Um, his goal had us level at the break, obviously. Uh, James Smith asks, has Bundu earned a regular start now, Sam? 
Um, I think Shuey, with his rotational policy, doesn't really believe in regular starts. I think he'll pick a team for a game and then he'll maybe pick a similar team for a next game and then maybe pick a different team for the next game. Um, so I don't really think Shuey has a concept of regular starts in that way. I would certainly start him for a lot of the, the, the next run of games. Obviously, we've got a week gap to Leicester and it's three games in a week of Leicester, QPR and Rotherham. I would certainly maybe not look to start him for all three of those because when, when it's three games in a week and two of those games against teams down around there with us, we're really going to want to maximise our rotational ability for those three games. So I am not sure if I'd start him in all three of those, but I, I would certainly start him in in a few of them. Um, obviously, Hardy's still being phased back in, isn't he? Whether he's going to be ready to start Leicester yet, I don't quite know. Uh, I certainly would consider starting Bundu now if we wanted to, to give Mumba a rest. I would consider starting Hardy and having Bundu as, as the wide forward in place of Mumba. So it's a squad game, lots of rotation. Sorry, that's a bit of a, 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 a boring answer, maybe, but it's the answer I'm going to give. Um, yeah, I would certainly have him as a fairly regular starter, but I don't think he's guaranteed to start every game. I don't think pretty much anybody is apart from Mike Cooper, and even then that might change if he had a bad run of form. So, yeah, play, play it by ear, but I'd, I'd, certainly, I'd certainly have no fear about starting him. I think he's a good player in a lot of ways. His passing's good, his dribbling's good. He's he's very direct when he's running towards goal, very impactful, his crossing's pretty good. He can't really play back to goal too well. It's the only criticism of him, but I think that's pretty much true of all our strikers. I think it's true of Hardy and it's true of Wayne there. They're all players who are much better front to goal than they are back to goal. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no fears about playing and put it that way. You always answer so abruptly that I don't see it coming the others sort of wind down their answers and you snap straight out of it sam um, sorry <laughs> no no don't apologize I, lo- I like you how you are don't ever apologize for being you sam um i think we've covered pretty much all three of you covered in your so uh mixing up the running order a little then obviously man of the match performance coming from the ever impressive luke cundall i hope this isn't your actual name but i so naughty uh asks if cundall <laughs> starts <laughs> oh great name Iso Naughty asks, if Cundall starts scoring, we ain't going to be able to afford him. Another incredibly hard-working performance. Where does he get the energy, Joe? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I, I'm a big Luke Cundall fan. Anyone who anyone who, who knows me knows I'm a big Luke Cundall fan, I think. Is there anyone you're not a fan of? Um, That's probably for another pod. Okay, all right. We'll save that for a mailbag special. We will. Yeah, I think... What impresses me about Cundall is he is he is literally anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. He is the Duracell bunny of the team, if you like. And the other thing about Cundall as well is if he gives the ball away or something and the opposition counter, he's always one of the first ones to then appear on the scene in a defensive position. You know, he, I thought he really stepped up on Saturday because, as Dan alluded to earlier, it probably wasn't Jordan Houghton's best game of the season. Um, that wasn't to say I, I thought he was terrible. I just think by the standards he set this year, it wasn't as effective a game for him. Um, and what you saw was Cundall was the one who was then dropping deeper to pick up the ball from defence and turn us into attack. Um, and I think that's something he's really worked on since he came into the team, is that when he came in, he was like the finners as, if you like. He was the one going forward. He was the one who was going to support Barley, Morgan and the, and the, and the striker. Um, whereas now I'm, I'm beginning to look at Luke Cundall and think, well, actually, if Houghton was to suddenly 
have a bout of sickness or something, could we go in with a midfield of Azaz one side, Randall the other, and and Kundal in that in that deep role? And I think he would, I think he would do it pretty well. We, I think we had this question in the week or or last weekend about whether or not we'd go after Kundal in the transfer window, and I was a little bit surprised at the answer that was given by whoever it was who answered it. It might have been John, but then some of that John's answers do surprise me from time to time. I've made no secret that I would probably try and get Kundal in permanently in January if a deal was there to be had, purely because of the value that he would bring in the future more than his value now. Because whilst I do think he's a good player, he is still an unfinished article. There is still so much to work on in his game. And the one thing this coaching staff do well is improve players. Um, and I think if he were to get the right coaching, I think we could improve him as a player. And he's another one that just seems to really be enjoying his football at the moment. I don't know if any of the others have picked up on this. He just seems to be really enjoying being out there with this group. I mean, you would do when you're putting in the last two home performances like we have to get the two results that we have. So long may it continue and his value is rising. Hopefully Wolves don't have an overinflated value of him. But if you look at all the lone players we've got at the moment, if you exclude Warrington out of the equation just for two seconds, so if you take it just as Kane, Finn and Luke, of all of those who would be more likely to break into their parent club side, it would probably be Luke, just because at the moment Villa are over-exceeding their own expectation that they'll be looking at other players other than Kane and Finn, not to say that they're poor players, it's just the direction they're heading. So we might have to contest with that a little bit, but it's certainly worth Neil and and Shuey asking the question of Wolves in January, just to to chance the arm, see what they say. Um, And if the price is right, I'd, I'd certainly be looking to do the deal. Higher or lower? Is that prices right? Have I just butchered that? That is that is prices right. It depends. Oh. You gotta you gotta give a value first before I say higher or lower though. <laughs> oh, okay. All right then. I think that's everything covered from the Stoke game, isn't it? No. Before we get on to obviously that winning goal, is there anything you want to cover? Anybody missed anything from that game? We'd just like to say a great word to uh, Kane Kettle Hayden, actually, as a player who's come into a lot of criticism, including for me in recent weeks, quite a string of slightly sloppy mistakes he's made around the kind of October, early November time, but has picked back up again in recent weeks. He, even though we lost on Tuesday, I thought he put in a, a capable performance on Tuesday, topped off by a, a really impressive performance yesterday, gone up and down the line well, mostly defended well. Um, and and then uh, going forward, he improved as the game went on. And the cherry on the cake was that spectacular cross for the second goal. Pretty much came out, out of nowhere, really incisive cross cut through the defence and, and perfectly for Bundu. So, yeah, big credit to him. I think he deserves a positive word when, when he has a good game. And he certainly did did do that. And I think, you know, young player going to be a bit up and down. But I think it definitely shows that he's... He's definitely, definitely is a right back rather than a left back. And some players are more suited to playing on the wrong side than others. I don't think he's really great on his wrong side. But I think that just backs up the case that we, you know, we've we, we, we've just not had enough options at left back this season because, you know, Galloway's been injured most of it. Early's been injured most of it. Gillespie's been injured a lot of it. Miller's had some good games there, but he's really, really much more suited to playing higher up the pitch. Um, Mumba, you know, maybe is maybe is a wing back rather than either or, but again, not really a left back. But 
Yeah, um, that's veering way off track again. I'm so sorry. I'm going off on a tangent left, right and centre here. Anyway, good game from Kevin Hayden yesterday and uh, deserves maybe a bit of a run in the team at right back based on that performance. I was just going to say, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's right back versus left back. I'd say it's more of a fact that I think Kesler Hayden is better as an orthodox fullback than he is at inverting from fullback. When you do that, you know, Trent is the one, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the example that, you know, everyone um, goes towards for, for inverting fullbacks. And the, the thing is, when, when you do invert into central midfield, you do obviously need to be very, very good uh, on the ball, first touch, awareness of markers and passing, passing out wide. I'm not sure Kesler Hayden is quite suited to that role. I think he is better just staying out wide and being the orthodox fullback overlapping. Completely understand why Shuey wants to play inverted fullbacks. It's much better way of covering ourselves against a quick counter-attack um, and outnumbering opposition in, in centre mid. But in terms of Kesler Hayden's strengths, you know, that crossing yesterday was was superb. Defensively looks to me a little bit more comfortable out at fullback as well. So it does lead itself to a little bit of a problem if we did want to start, you know, heavily inverting our fullbacks again. We didn't do it too much yesterday. We did at times, but felt like it wasn't as much as we do um, when Kesler Hayden plays at left back or um, perhaps when... Perhaps when Joe Edwards plays as well, uh, Saxon Early was obviously the big one that um, you know uh, played a lot of it in pre-season. Did it at Watford. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when he comes back in. I believe January, hopefully, whether he can uh, get his way back into the team. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what he does at fullback uh, in the next few games. With you know Galloway now being in the mix, Miller coming back, possibly Gillespie coming back, um, and obviously Edwards. You know it's. Joe Edwards is one that I, I would like to start more often than not. So as good as Kesler Hayden was yesterday, I'm, I wouldn't say he's, you know, a guaranteed pick going forward because we suddenly have a few capable options there. Did you have Ref Watch on the agenda, Aaron, or can I chuck it in now just quickly? I think, I think like Randall, we should save the best bit till last. Yeah, exactly. So we'll get Ref Watch out of the way now. Just a couple, just one point really on, on the referee's performance, Sam Barrett. Um, County. Don't know. That's poor from you. Sorry. I actually thought across the, the 96 minutes, I actually thought he had a really decent game. And the only thing I can pick him up on was the yellow card for Jordan Houghton. Literally two seconds before, an almost identical tackle came in from a Stoke player. And because Azaz didn't go to ground, he played on. But yet, because the Stoke player went to ground, he decided to book Houghton. Um, that was probably my only criticism towards Sam Barrett, who is seemingly regarded as one of this country's best upcoming referees, and I can see why. And incidentally, his next assignment is involving the Premier League leaders on Tuesday night. So um, clearly the decision makers think he's he's worthy of those games. So um, no, good performance and... We oh, come on, I I need something concrete to moan at referees. I can't just moan just because the ball's six feet out of play. I need something actually serious to moan about. I don't really care how he performs. All I care about is which county he's from. Do you wanna do you wanna take a guess, Sam and Dan? I found it. Oh uh, guess around the go on. Cambridgeshire. No. Uh, Kent. The West Riding of Yorkshire. Ooh. Oh. No, I do know I do know this. I put it in the group chat earlier in the week. Well, that's your own silly fault. 
Um, he is approaching 100 games milestone in the EFL and most notably took charge of the 2022 FA Vars final at Wembley. Hey. There you go. I think that's enough on the ref. It was a uh, great occasion. Uh, whilst we're giving uh, people credit, have we given Bundu enough? Yeah, let's give him a bit of credit. Um, he, well, like I said, I think he, he, his natural best position is more of a thing in the striker, but he certainly does a good job at, at being a striker. You know, we don't, the way we play, as I said earlier, is not massively reliant on having someone who's good front to goal anyway, but I'm sorry, it's not, beg your pardon, it's not reliant on having someone who's good back to goal, which he isn't. But in terms of his front to goal play, he was good yesterday, as he has been pretty much every time he started. Um, let's not forget with Bundu, he's only started three games and he scored two goals. And if not for that travesty at Ipswich, uh, where he was dragged away from behind, he, you know, if he'd have got through one-on-one with Fladke, probably would have put that away and that would have been three goals in three games. So, um, real, really impressive. I must say it, you know, I, I, I absolutely, to be clear, was always for giving him a chance. And I didn't like some of the comments on Twitter that were laying into him before he'd kicked the ball. But I think you would be lying if it looked like the most wowing signing on paper because, because it didn't. But, you know, he, he's come in and he's done really well. And I think that's the virtue of always giving everybody a chance. And he's, and that's not to mention, you know, with those three starts, it's not to mention his great carry off the bench against Norwich where he had that great assist for the sixth goal. So really lots to be positive about regarding him. And yeah, I'm not sure yet whether I'd say he's our first George striker ahead of Hardy. That would be premature. But given the fact he can, he can rotate that, you know, Hardy ultimately getting injured was probably down to the fact he'd played almost every minute of every game up to then. So the fact he he can cover, he can rotate with Hardy. He can rotate with Mumba as a winger as well. Really useful player. To, he, I think he's going to be a really useful player for us for the rest of the season. He certainly isn't going to be our first choice um, striker. That, not at the moment, anytime. Anyway, just a little bit on Bundu and what Sam was picking up there on the things that were said on social media when he signed. I said it at the time. People need to learn to give players a chance. There is clearly a player there in Mustafa Bundu. There is clearly talent there. And this coaching staff will get the best out of him. And as if they haven't learned their lesson in the past when they've criticised players, even long before this regime. I remember when Jake Jervis signed and he had a list of clubs longer than Yunnan's shopping list on a Sunday morning at Tesco's. People were moaning that we'd sign in this journeyman player. And look at the player he turned out to be in that Derek Adams side. And it's player after player that people just seem to know instantly what they're all about and they knock them before they even kick a ball. And I just go back to that shoey video after Cosgrove won the game at Derby last year. It You know, wait until they play before you make your mind up. If you see them play four or five times, then you make your mind up, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But give them a bloody chance. And it's clear that this lad has a lot of ability. It needs to be harnessed. I do think he, he still needs to learn plenty um but there's a, a real player there that can become quite a good option for us to have moving into the second half of the season yeah absolutely on on to kind of follow on your point you know how many marquee signings have we made over the years you know on the flip side of like oh wow this guy looks amazing on paper and then uh, they turn out to be absolute rubbish you know nadir chifchi emil and penza I suppose the ones of those that have done well are the ones where we've turned the loan Kenny into a permanent, Cooper. aren't they? Kenny yeah. Cooper. George Cooper. You what know. paper are you printing this on? You said they look good on paper. It must be bloody good paper. Oh, Nadia Chifty was a good signing on paper. He he was like, he scored ridiculous amounts in the SPL and he was like in and out of the team for Celtic, for goodness sake. But he just obviously wasn't one in reality. Um, 
Anyway, I've lost the trail of what I was going to say. Um, yeah, the ones of those that have been done well, broadly, George Cooper accepted, are the ones where we've turned the loan into a permanent. In terms of those where they've they've come in as a big marketing signing without having been with us on loan first, I'm kind of struggling to think of, of any of those that have actually been been great successes. I'm sure I'm probably forgetting a really obvious one that will come back to come back to bite me. But I, I'm Danny not Mayer. seeing any. Yeah, that Danny Mayer. Okay, Danny Danny Mayer would 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 be the one for sure. But he, obviously, even then, he didn't quite match his goal or assist tally for Berry. But yeah, he was a two-time promotion winner. So Danny Mayer would, would would be the main one to contradict that. But by and large, yes, it's been a weird quirk of events with our goal. But often, uh, the less glamorous signings on paper have turned out to be the best ones, and, and vice versa. Not that's not a foolproof rule. Obviously, there are exceptions either way. But it is something that does seem to happen. And hopefully, Bundu's well on his way to continuing that trend. Just wait until we get into the Premier League and we start wasting 25 million on players rather than 250 grand. <laughs> oh, anyway, Adam Randall got to live the dream of every fan to smash home a last gasp winner at the Devonport end on his 100th appearance. I imagine he'd have dreamt about it being good, but surely not that good. Uh, Sam, that's some way to open up your account at home, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's an absolute fairy tale, isn't it? He's an Argyle fan growing up. The only player from Plymouth to be playing regularly in the team, you know, broken into the team recently, really had his major breakthrough season in a title winning season, for goodness sake. And if the fairy tale couldn't get any better on his 100th appearance, he scored his first goal at home park already. You're thinking, you know, if you put this forward as a script, it would be a bit too on the nose. But the fact that was then all part of a last minute winner to win the game and, and propel us away from the relegation zone. Um, it, it, you just can't write it any any better than that, can you? It was it was just an incredibly happy moment. Obviously, not genuinely not just for the team for getting the win, but also for him. Seeing the, the delight of the niche that over to the Devonport end was an incredible moment. Seeing him running and fist pumping the fans at, at full time was, was was just as good. I think he's he's a player who who I don't think any Argyle fan will have much of a bad word to say about. I think we all love how he plays his his style of play. He, he and he's the ultimate professional. I think anyone who comments on him from the club uh, and just people who people who've been around his presence will, will know that he, he works incredibly hard. He's a a great person to have around by all accounts. Um, and 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 yeah, just ab- absolutely absolutely delighted for him. He, he's had a bit of a tough run of being out of the team, which I don't think you can really argue with, given how well Houghton and Vance and Cundall have all played in recent weeks. I know that. Despite losing a few games, I don't think it's been the midfield that's been the issue at all. I think it's been both boxes that have been the issue. So with how good the midfield has been, um, I don't think you could argue with him having a bit of a run out of the team. But every time he's been brought off the bench, he's, he's given Shuey something to think about. He's made a claim for himself. And obviously that, that appearance off the bench yesterday was the ultimate one of that. Because even before scoring, he was, he was brilliant, um, tenacious in the middle of the midfield. He then got moved out to right back to accommodate for... Matt Butcher coming on, which did slightly raise an eyebrow or two at the time, but he was very good there. He put a few good deliveries in that didn't quite land for the right person, but were, were good deliveries nonetheless. Um, and he, yeah, and then he obviously pops up with that amazing winning goal, sending them and interruptions. And I just think we could just be seeing the birth of a club legend in the making because he, he has all the ingredients. He's, he's got the right personality. He's an Argyle fan. He's a Plymouth boy. And he's the kind of player that fans absolutely love to see and hopefully a hundred more appearances to come. Yeah, it was so good that somebody should really make a documentary about it. Um, <laughs> everybody's on mute, so I'll just laugh at that on my own. 
100 games now ticked off for our future captain. Uh, one for all of you, this really, but we'll start with Joe. What, what's your favourite Randall memory? Uh, the winning goal against Stoke City in the Championship. Mm. Um, am I allowed to get away with that one? Uh, no, I'll, I'll give you another one. What's my favourite Randall memory? Uh, it's a good one, actually. Um, you'd, you'd have to say the goal at Port Vale, wouldn't you? You know, for everything that that meant, it changed the game. And he took it so well that day as well. Um, just like he took took the one yesterday so well. So, yeah, the goal at Port Vale would be my, my favourite Rand's memory. Nothing's beating that. I don't think anything is beating that, but just to add a maybe a slightly understated one, was his first league start for Argyle because he'd, he'd had a few appearances off the bench in the 1920 season that we came out of League Two and he never embarrassed himself off the bench at all. Then he had a year out on loan at Torquay during the COVID season um, where he, by all accounts, was one of their best players, but maybe even one of the best players in the entire league uh, that season. Um, and then he came back to us. He had a good pre-season he had a couple of decent cameos off the bench, but with Houghton having started that season so well, he wasn't getting any, anywhere near the starting. Houghton got a suspension for five yellows. We kind of thought, mm, will we mix it up a bit? Will we maybe put Gillespie into midfield or, or something like that? Or, or will we take the leap of faith in Randall? And he was brilliant in that instance game. Brilliant from start to end. He absolutely fully repaid the faith that Ryan Lowe, as it was at that time still, he absolutely repaid the faith that Ryan Lowe showed in him starting him um, for that game, putting a dominant performance, was involved in the first goal and, and never looked out of place. And, and again, that's just how he, how he went on to be in, in all the many other appearances to come. Am I getting my Randalls versus Ipswich mixed up? Is that the one where he gets absolutely sliced in half by Sam Morsey? Or no, no, that, that was the following season. But it, this was in the 80-point season. Yeah, where okay. The one I'm referring to was in the 80-point season where we came seventh in League One. The the one where he got absolutely uh, pole-axed by Morsey and Evans and absolutely loved the game of the whole game. That was the, the following season. But both were 2-1 wins in which Randall played well in both games. Yeah, Dan, we've been through quite a few of them, but obviously he's, he normally scores some big goals and they're, and they're normally class. So obviously off the top of our heads, you've got the Vale, the Grimsby, the, the Bristol City even this season. The Bristol Rovers last season are all class. Was this his best worst goal? So I feel like it takes a, a nick off a Stoke player, but I mean, it's still, that's that's an incredible finish to have as your, potentially as your worst goal, right? In terms of technique. Yeah, could, could easily have, have snatched at it a little bit in, you know, the kind of high octane game that it was, as the others have said, and a 96th minute Devonport end, you know, balls come out to him reasonably quickly. It would be very easy to kind of snatch that and, and I lean back and balloon it over the bar or, or drag it wide. So it was a, a really, really good finish. None spring to mind in terms of goals that he scored for us that are less technically brilliant, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because to, to add into the ones that you listed, there was his free kick at Sheffield Wednesday in 2022, which oh, I think yeah. was his first goal yeah. for us, wasn't it? Which was an absolute peach as well. Mm. So, yeah, the bloke doesn't score normal goals, does he? Only scores belters. Sam, I'll give you this one because obviously Joe's already said that he wasn't there, but Josh Pitcher has asked, thoughts on the atmosphere for this game? I felt the fans really did well not to turn on the players and get behind them for the winner. I assume that was the best atmosphere. Well, I, I tweeted it, right? The best limb since um, Peter Hartley popped up at the back post. Are you, are you concurring with that or you disagree? 
Uh, yeah, the absence in the second half was amazing. I think, to be honest, things got a little bit tetchy first half, perhaps not entirely um, not entirely unjustifiably so at times, but um, there was a little bit of an air of frustration, for sure. Um, second half, absolutely incredible. It was one of those where the atmosphere just built up to a crescendo, uh, where there was, um, you know, there was the old uh, green and white Barmy Army, which was one of those chants that has survived through generations, I think. Uh, yeah, Aaron's, Aaron's miming it on, on, on the screen in front of me I'll here. You'll be able to see yeah. that from January when we go live on YouTube from 2024. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, all, all these great reactions that the listeners so far <laughs> don't, don't get to see will be, will, be, will be in front of your eyes. It's something to look forward to for the new year to our listeners. Um, but yes, anyway, um, the, the atmosphere really built up towards a, a crescendo the spell of attacks we had, attack after attack after attack, I think just sort of galvanised the crowd even more. Devonport and Roma's trying to suck the ball into the net, as the cliche goes. Obviously nowhere near the same stakes, but but Aaron mentioned it, the Peter Hartley game against Tompey, and I think that was very similar in the regard that we were drawing, we were having attack after attack facing the Devonport end, and we just kind of thought, oh, we've missed so many chances, it's just not going quite, not going to quite be our day. Uh, and then again, as with the Hartley game, pretty much the last kick of the game, it well header in that case, but the last touch of the game, it it goes into the net and and absolutely rapturous scenes. You just watching the replay again. I've watched it about fifty or sixty times, I think, since yesterday, and just watching um, the front of blocks two, three, and four go absolutely mental, uh, running towards the front, you know. Um, hugging each other, jumping up and down. That is what football is all about. Football is all about moments like yesterday. It's about when you go on, when you leave at eleven o'clock to go to Coventry away and get back in at stupid o'clock in the morning, half two or whatever it was, and um, you know, feel down the dumps that you've had a a frustrating game and a pretty poor performance. It, it's all made worth it by moments like that. And like I say, it feels like a long time since we've come out on the end of a tight one. It actually isn't because it was just the end of last season, but we've had so many tight ones that we've, we've not won yet. And I know I'm saying it again, sorry. Um, we've had so many, so many of those that we've not won to actually then win one, which is absolutely brilliant. It was, I'm just trying to find the right word and there isn't one. I'm just going to say brilliant. Um, it, was, it was a mixture of relief and joy and yeah, so happy. It seemed to me watching the game that whilst the atmosphere in the second half was building, it was almost the yellow card that Shuey received off Mr. Barrett just seemed to really get the crowd going. It's That seemed to just take it up a notch. And one final thing before the game, Aaron, I don't know where your running order is going because you never send it through to us so we don't know which direction we're heading on these podcasts, is that it always lends me to the question as to that late drama, that late moment, that special moment in Randall's career, you'd be kicking yourself if you had left early just so you could get out of the car park a bit earlier, wouldn't you? This was something I was shot down for on on X, formerly known as Twitter, about 18 months ago um, when we won a game late. And I criticised a load of people for leaving and the stadium was empty as we were celebrating the winner and what have you. I, I never understand it. I, I never will understand it. And people will have very good reasons as to why they leave early. I, I don't doubt it that there are certain circumstances that mean people have to leave, might have to leave a game a couple minutes early. But to see it week on, week out, people leave en masse a game early. I, I just can't quite get my head around it. And, you know, those who perhaps did leave, I don't know if anyone did leave Home Park early on Saturday, obviously, because it wasn't there. But it would be interesting to know if there were people leaving early and the look on their faces as they're just about to get the keys out of the car out of the pocket to get into the car and they hear that roar 
you know, your heart would probably sink, wouldn't it, at the thought of it. So, um, you know, I'm, as I say, I'm not criticising anyone because I know people have certain circumstances and things, but it's something that I'll never be able to understand why en masse you would leave early just so you can get out of a car park a bit quicker. Yeah. Um. Surely that's the, that's the risk you take going to a, a game of football, isn't it? That you might be a little bit delayed, particularly when everyone knows just how bad it is traffic-wise getting out of Argyle anyway. You know, if, if that's going to be a problem, get one of the Plymouth Argyle special city buses, surely. Then you don't have to worry about getting your car out of the car park. Yeah, we do need to differentiate between the, the, the two people, two types of people here. As you said, some people um, I know need to leave early to get certain time trains or they need to get back home for certain reasons. Yeah, there, work. Are, there are people who have genuine, who have genuine Absolutely. reasons. Absolutely. Work, family yeah. commitments, um, yeah. health, you know, health reasons as well. I know there are some people who leave because of health issues and mobility issues and things, you know, they have to beat the crowd to get out of the stadium. And I understand that. And I, you know, I'm not knocking those people whatsoever. It's just yeah. the, the general fan who leaves early just so they can get their car out of the car park a bit sooner. Those are the ones I'm sort of, yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. In this evening, it it baffles me, um, and the response always seems to be when you kind of confront those people about it is, "Well, I paid for my ticket; it's my right to leave whenever, whenever I want." Absolutely, it's it's not North Korea, mate. We're not making you stay here till the end. You know, you can do whatever you like, but it just baffles me. Like that's not the point. Why are you leaving? When do you go to the cinema or go to the theatre and see? people like getting up and leaving on mass 15 minutes before the end it just it really really doesn't make sense and i i just i when we're three nil down or maybe when we're three nil up okay fair enough you know the kind of contest is over as it were but at one all in a in an important game it i it just i, I will never ever understand it i really won't and it it, it it does really confuse me. Each to their own, like I say, you know, it is com- you are completely within your rights to leave whenever you like, but I will never understand it. I was going to say, let's just confirm here before we get a load of hate on social media and things. We're not coming after people who have genuine reasons to leave the game early. It's just yeah. the day-to-day day-trippers who simply just want to get home that five minutes earlier. Absolutely. It's one of them, each to their own. They pay their money. They can do what they like with their ticket, but um it's just a point i always want to raise because it's easy for me i don't drive um so i don't have to worry about getting my car at the car park but it's just something i've never never really understood um so full disclosure i left i've left two home games early this season both of which were evening games when i was dependent on lifts from other people to get home um that but those were that was Millwall when the second goal went in very near the end uh, and Sheffield wednesday when the uh, when we were already three up and the board went up for stoppage time but yeah literally both games where it was a dead game and both games where I was dependent on somebody else to get home if I was a driver maybe I maybe I would have waited till full time both games certainly for the Sheffield Wednesday because that was a win but I'm not a driver so there we go that's absolutely disgusting Sam um, never show your face on the well you don't show your face anyway never <laughs> <laughs> show your face on this podcast again um, yeah nice okay well I mean, I cut out quite a few questions in the running order as we went through, but you've sort of just extended the time anyway. We're, we're touching on an hour, so skip over some of them, uh, move on to any other business. Joe, is there anything to report from the fans forum? Uh, it was ruddy cold um, on Thursday night. Anything to report? No, I mean, there wasn't anything particularly 
knew and can i mean there certainly wasn't anything concerning one a couple of things that did take away from it um was david ray did a very good piece um on the finances of the football club he he sort of really spelled out the um report that he wrote up when they released the finances um and the ebit da e-b-i-t-d-a um which is something about um monetization and um all sorts it's way above my head um this financial talk um, earnings before but... interest taxes depreciation and amortization i think it is sorry to that's, be a nerd that's why we've got dan on the pod um but yes the ebit da um although in the financial report it was actually it was showing as not necessarily a positive thing. He actually showed us a, a graphic that over the last five years, whilst this season it was something like minus 1.5 million, actually over the last five years and over the five-year plan that we've just completed before the new mission, we're actually plus 600,000 on the EBITDA. So although the glaring figure of 1.5 million loss is a bad thing, over five years, it's actually still a positive. So there's nothing. I'm hopefully I'm not confusing anyone who's still stuck with us after an hour. Um, but that's that. Um, we're going to be getting there's plans in place to be getting some LED advertising boards around the perimeter of the pitch from next season, which I think is a really good thing for sponsorship and driving up revenue. Cough, cough, um, talk sport. Let us know. Well, yeah. Um, Jeff Stelling, of course, the new breakfast host there. We might be able to afford a couple of pixels at best. Maybe, maybe. Maybe we can get the green and white podcast going around the the outside of the stadium. I'll, I'll have to speak to Uncle Simon and see how much that would cost us. Uh, Neil Jusnit was in very good form. I think an hour in his company would leave you smiling from ear to ear. I think he's a, a very, very dry sense of humour bloke, which is very similar to myself. There was something else now that I've forgotten that I was going to mention as well. Um, finances are good. LED advertising. Possibly about Simon's comment at the end, maybe? Yeah, I'll come on to that. There was a the usual question about... Nobody mentioned Bobby's Garden, which was disappointing. And, of course, the club have now actually done something about that. Um, but there was the usual question about increasing capacity. And as Andrew Parkinson quite rightly said, whilst it is something that needs to be looked at right now when we are still in a bit of limbo about what division we're going to be in. It would be stupid to come out with plans to say, yes, we're going to add 10,000 seats to the stadium. And then in 18 months, two years time, be languishing in 15th place in league one. I'm not saying that's going to happen because I don't think it will, but then all of a sudden. I'd be very surprised to see 10,000 seats fit in those corners. But yeah, I know it would be a wonderful achievement, but say, but if they up the capacities somehow to say 22, 23,000 and all of a sudden the average gate dropped to 10,000, it would not make any business sense whatsoever. And yeah, as Sam mentioned there, there was the the, the last bit of the evening was um, Simon talking about future investment with the new mission. Um, and that, you know, he'd been quite clear that the last mission, both he and Jane would be able to fund with their resources um, and, you know, he's he's quite open that the new mission he would he would need help with, you know, his resources aren't going to get us to where the end goal of the mission is. So um, there is a memorandum being created by um, a couple of the board members. David Ray, Paul Byrne was was um, mentioned for it. That's been put to an agent that's been employed by the whether or not employed is the right word, but an agent has been brought in by the football club to to essentially market the 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 football club in terms of investment 
they've laid everything out in a document history structure strategy finances direction all of it's in there um and this agent is pitching it to people now hopefully with very deep pockets who are aligned with the club's ideas and the hope is that in the new year or some point when somebody steps forward with a real interest you know simon and the board will go and meet them explain the position and you know that that's that's the investment that we really need to 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 complete the mission really um i say complete it when we just started it but you know what i mean to take us through the mission we will need that extra investment and then with that simon sort of mentioned that well there's a real probability not really a possibility that with that investment could come the the moment that his his tenure as chairman would be over and he would step down step aside to to let the the new investors or whoever it is take the club forward but i think one thing that is worth stressing is whilst he did mention that i don't think that's anywhere near the near future happening and that he is not going to do it just to anyone um who comes into the football club you know he will need to know that they are the right person he's not just going to hand this over to somebody and then watch all the hard work that he and his wife and the team below him have put in over the years he's going to make sure that the next chairman, the next majority owner is the right person for Argyle and has the best interest of the football club and more importantly, the city, because obviously the two are now entwined probably stronger than they have been for nearly 20 years, Argyle and the city of Plymouth. Um, It has to be the right thing. So it's an exciting time. I'm sure it's a busy time for this agent and, and David Ray and people sourcing out these new investors. So Hopefully by the summer, maybe we'll have a bit more news, but it was it was good. It was my first one I've attended in a few years. Um, I'll definitely be going to the next one. Hopefully the attendance in the room will be up a bit more. I know the attendance online was was pretty good for this forum, but then it was bloody Baltic outside and blowing a gale. So it's no surprise there was only about 40 or 50 of us in the room. Um, but no, overall, very positive, very enjoyable evening in the company of the directors. And I think we can all be pretty sure we're heading in a positive direction. One final thing. Sorry, just crept back into my mind. The passion and enthusiasm that everyone has now for Argyle women coming under the one Argyle bracket and the way that they're going to integrate that into the football club is infectious. They are serious about this. This is something they're really passionate about. You know, they stress that it's probably an important thing that they try and progress the women's team. I'm not saying, you know, they're not going to suddenly become the best team in the country. Chelsea have that sewn up and probably will have it sewn up for a long time, even after Emma Hayes has gone from there. But, you know, to have the Argyle women team say in the championship, the women's championship, the next tier up from where they are now would would be a, a pretty a pretty big thing for them. So they're going to give it as good a shot as they've got. Um, they're already working by all accounts Neil Jusnip's already working closely with Ryan Perks to find out what he needs and to see what direction they're going to go in um, but no it's, it's infectious it's positive and as they said you know it's it's a good thing for the football club and it's, it's another Argyle team for, for people to go along and see isn't it so um, like I hope many people will do on Thursday night for the under 18s FA Youth Cup game it's almost brilliant that it, the fans forum is like boringly positive, right? There's no like huge issues with with anything really, is there? That that's it's almost like I said boringly brilliant, or whichever way around. I just said that the FA Cup third round sees us drawn at home to Sutton United, 
Uh, Sam, I know you were praying for this draw away from home, but any initial thoughts ahead of uh, on facing Tim Vine's Amber Army? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, I think it's a good draw um, because ultimately winning is important because you get at 105,000 prize money and then whatever gate revenue you get from the next round. I don't think we're really at the point yet where we, where we can start being picky about wanting to go out to focus on the league because I think winning is a habit to an extent and also the finances could help us in the, the January window to some greater or lesser degree. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy. Uh, I think it's a tie that we obviously should win on paper. Sutton are bottom of the 92 and they've not won away from home all season. And with our home record, you think, you know, barring anything going very wrong on the day, we, we should win that. So I think I think we know what's getting clipped up at the end of this episode. Yeah, um, I think, look, obviously upsets do happen, of course they do, but I think it's one of those where we can bring the rotation players in a bit, play people like Hazard, uh, Gillespie, uh, Callum Wright, Tyreek Wright, um, Wayne uh, Butcher, um, maybe, you know, Saxon Early's coming back to fitness by then, maybe even him. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's one of those where we, it's, 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 it's in terms of progression to the next round, as good of draws we could have got. Obviously, I think we'd have all preferred Man United or Man City away, but thank, thank goodness we didn't get one of those draws. It's like, you know... Not United. We've got United at home. Yeah, Manchester United or Manchester City. It, the main thing we were all fearing is it was going to be another long trip to a you know game that was going to be a tough game anyway, and it was, you know, neither one thing or the other. And I'm just glad we got a game that was, it was, it was favourable to us on paper. Would have been nice for it to be away because... I, I am somebody who likes to tick off the 92. I'm currently on 79 out of 92. So Sutton would have brought me up to 80. But uh, yeah, so be it. Let's just take the win. What I what I will say about about this tie, and um, I, I sort of wanted to say it on Twitter earlier today, but I thought I'd just use it here instead. Um, whilst, yes, I agree that Sutton are 24th in League Two and they've conceded 40 goals and things, they have a bit of a history of of an FA Cup shock. So um one one piece of history. Yeah. They have one piece of history and it's something that we have to be wary of. You know, they've they've earned this their right to be in this position and you know I'm sure they'll they'll give it a real good go and it will be a, a great occasion for their for their supporters as well. I'm sure they'll bring they'll try and bring decent numbers anyway. Yeah all their supporters seem absolutely enthused by on Twitter. They can't bloody wait. I did see that. Hopefully, um, I I just hope that Argyle price it accordingly. Really, I'm not suddenly advocating for five pound and adult one pound for a child because that'd be a bit of financial stupidity. But as low as they can go ticket price wise, and they can still make money off the event, um, I think that'd be the wisest thing. Um, but going back to the going back to the debates about attendances and stuff and filling, putting more seats into home park, surely. Games like this are where the fan base prove that we can sell that and we will continue to sell that even if we go down, right? Because we go down, we're playing teams, I don't want to say like Sutton, but of similar ilk, you know. We had like Forest Green and stuff in our league last season. If we go down and we can prove that we can still sell out the stadium, surely that's... I agree. And for a lot of people who are on the season ticket waiting list and things, these are the sorts of games that give them an opportunity to go to see Argo. Um, you know, not everyone can get to league games now because it is such a tricky thing to get a home ticket with obviously the season ticket exchange thing. Um, only few and far between seats become available. And even then you still see empty seats in the stadium where people haven't 
sold it back to the club. So, um, and when they do get to go, they get moaned at for leaving early, so they can't win. Exactly. Um, it is an opportunity for a lot of people now to go and see this Argyle side, an exciting Argyle side. And you're right, this is a real chance for everyone to show that we're not just a plastic fan base who only want to go and see championship football and what have you. We want to go and see Argyle play. And I hope Home Park is is full for this one. Do I expect 16500 there for it? I probably don't, depending on how it's priced. But I would certainly be disappointed if we can't get 80, 85% of Home Park full for this because it would be a... You know, it's as you say, it's a real chance to get through to the fourth round. And as we know from previous cup, having tickets through the cup run is beneficial if it comes to a big day out. So for a lot of those people who may be dreaming of a Old Trafford or a Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or what have you, it could be beneficial to to go along to this and, and get your ticket. Well, newfangled days of the point system, that may no longer stand, but I'll certainly be going anyway. Yeah, You get plus 10 for it. We'll have the debate of the point system on another pod, I think. Mm. Could be here all night. Um, let's finish up this pod with a little quiz. Uh, Andy Davis has yet again not sent any um, questions through. That's because oh. that's because he's still trying to work out if the ball was in or out on Tuesday night in Coventry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I've found my own quiz. Four players have played for Plymouth Argyle and Sutton United. Can you name any of them? Oh, my word. Lime Phillips and Masters. I'll give you a clue. Two of them have the first name that start with J, two of them have a first name that start with S. Johnny Hall. Jake Cole. Jason Bunchen. Nope. Jason Banton. Nope. We're gonna be here for a while. One of them that I sort of knew but completely forgot. And the other three, there was absolutely no chance I would have. Are they are they kind of recent-ish players? Because I just don't think we'll get them if they're not. Um, three of them are recent-ish that we've definitely all seen play. Well, maybe one of them we didn't, but we know of him. Um, oh, Simon, Walt- Simon Walton. Simon Walton is correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Scott Griffiths. Nope. Um, Simon King. Simon King. I was just about to say that. No. We've ticked off Simon. We've got a Steve left. We've got a Jordan, Jamie and a Steve. Jordan Forster. Uh, Jamie Griffiths. Not Jamie Griffiths. Jamie Jordan. Jamie Record. Steve. Jamie Record. Jamie no. Record. Shall I put you out of your misery? You've got no. no. Come on. A little, a little bit more. A little bit more. Uh, oh, Steve Fletcher. Steve Fletcher. Nope. Steve Adams. Nope. Steve Crawford. Nope. Jamie Steve Sturrock. Nope. Steve Sturrock. Um. Jamie Ness. Steve Sheridan. <laughs> nope. Um. I'm checking this one actually. Yeah, he's played for us. This Steve played for us in the 97-98 season. Steve Guinan. Nope. It's not Jordan Houghton, is it? Nope. Jamie Jordan. Jamie Jordan and Steve. Um walked into a Jamie. bar. Yeah. <laughs> um Steve 97-98. Um Phillips. Steve McCall. Steve McCall. No, I'll give you a clue. He played for Crediton United, Plymouth Argyle, Welling United, Stevenage Borough, Woking. Dagenham and Redbridge, Aldershot Town, Gravesend and Norfleet, and finished up at Sutton United. Steve Marker. I don't know. No. It's not Steve Guinan. No. Stevie Banks-Blake. Um, One of the Jays played for Plymouth Argyle, Sutton United, Truro City and Tiverton Town. Jamie Richards. No. Jed Harper-Penman. I believe one of you went to school with his brother. 
the Jamie played for Leatherhead, Wimbledon, Milton Keynes, Dons, Sutton United. This is where we give it away. Exeter City, Plymouth Argyle, Queen's Park Rangers, Nottingham Forest, Reading and Oxford. Jamie Mackey. Oh, yeah. Correct. Oh, right. I don't know, but this is gripping audio. <laughs> it's great audio, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you can cut the cut out the silent bits. How can I? It's the Jordan fairly recent. Fairly recent, yeah. Jordan Bentley. Jordan, oh. Jordan Bentley, correct. Oh. Oh. I did, yeah. I did okay. go to school with his. I did go to school with his older brother. He played in goal in a national cup quarter final team that we had. Great era. Yeah. And the last one, I don't think anybody would get in a month of Sundays. Steve Perkins. Oh, of course, course it no is. Way. No oh, way. Yeah, of yes. course it is. Oh yeah, I remember Steve Perkins. Oh yeah, I remember Steve. Great player. Yeah. Great memories. Calculating PAFC record, he played. One league appearance. There you go. Came from Crediton and went to Stevenage. There we go. If anybody got that, it would have been... There aren't many players. There aren't many players who've gone from Crediton to Plymouth Argyle to Stevenage. No, he played twice with... Oh, no, sorry. He played played one league game and came off the bench three times. So he played twice with Bruce Grobler and um, four times with Mick Heathcote. There we go. Do you know what this quiz has shown us? We need Andy Davis to pull his finger out and do another quiz. <laughs> we do. Should we call that a night? This is where you all say yes. On this pod, yes, yes. Yeah. Night. No, night. Night, Aaron. Sleep tight. Cheers. Bedbugs bite. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.